Uh, We're turning to Luke 1 this morning, and I'm just going to pray before we um, read the word together. Lord, we are so mindful and aware, Lord, that you are with us this morning. And Lord, as we come to a time in your word, we know that in many ways you've already been speaking to us and revealing yourself to us and reminding us of who you are. And we recognise, Lord, that as we now come to a time in your word, that you never leave us without something that you want us to receive. And so we come to your word this morning with a sense of both reverence but also hunger for what it is that you want to say to us. Um, as Isaiah said, Lord, we incline our ears. We, we listen with our hearts and our eyes and our ears, Lord, um, knowing, Lord, that when you say something to us, it brings change and transformation. Uh, we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to be reading this morning from Luke 1, starting at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the riches, the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, that is Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. I would love to take a poll this morning on who likes surprises. Who likes surprises? Uh, Yes. Well, you'll be glad to know I don't have a particular surprise for you, or if you like surprises, you might be a bit disappointed. Um, I guess what I am wanting to point out is that in my humble opinion, there are many dividing lines between people, and one of those is those who love surprises and those who don't. I am one of those who doesn't like surprises. Does this surprise you? (laughs) I don't like the feeling of jump scares. I don't like to be unexpectedly getting that big hit of an adrenaline rush. I don't like the loss of control. I don't really like the idea of surprise parties. One of my girls was thrown a surprise party last weekend by her friends and 
She thought it was amazing. Me, I probably would have less so. I don't really like the idea of surprise holidays because what would I pack? <laughs> I tell people that the reason that I don't like these surprises, I do like surprise <laughs> gifts if you need to note that. Um, <laughs> but I tell people the reason I don't like surprises is because I like the anticipation. You know, I like to rem remember and remind myself that something's coming up and that is definitely true. But if I'm honest, the real reason is that I'm just not very good at anything unexpected and unplanned. And what I really mean by that is if I haven't got to be a part of the planning. <laughs> I did try to take a family poll last night on our WhatsApp group to see what my kids thought about how I would respond to surprises. And they just said, oh, I think that you'd be really awkward and laugh nervously. <laughs> I was hoping for some kind of really good anecdotal evidence to show you that I don't like surprises, but actually what I realised is they don't spring many surprises on me because they know that I don't like them, and so they don't really have much data to go on. Um, but the problem is having a no surprise policy in life is pretty much impossible. Firstly, we have a God who doesn't do things the way that we do things. If you're familiar with the biblical narrative at all, then you would have noticed that he likes to choose unlikely and unexpected and even unsuspecting people using unexpected means and opportunities. Just think of Moses and the burning bush. <laughs> or Saul on the road to Damascus. And then you add to that that we live a life that seems to have many opportunities to shock the heck out of us. Some good surprises, absolutely, but also quite a significant number of disappointing, scary, unwanted, painful, devastating, costly surprises too. It is completely unrealistic for any of us to believe that we will not have our life interrupted by unplanned, unexpected, and unexplainable things. We should definitely expect the unexpected, as they say. It's probably not surprising that in this lead up to the Advent season, I have been pondering the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her response to a profoundly unexpected moment. Before we dive into that, I want to remind you of the context of Mary's life. She was a Jewish teenage woman living in an occupied country in an insignificant district. She was most likely a poor peasant girl illiterate, not ignorant, but not educated. Her life as a woman in first century Israel would have had few freedoms. She would have not at all contemplated the ability to choose her own life path, a career where she lived. What she did expect is that she would follow the cultural expectations of her day, get married and have children. And so the biblical narrative introduces us to Mary 
at the point at which she is betrothed to a man called Joseph. She's likely, based on the things we know about that era in Jewish life, she's likely to have been promised in marriage to Joseph from when she was as young as 11 or 12, and that would have been arranged by their families. And then as the couple matured, and I mean she's likely to be about 15, the betrothal would have been formalised with a contract, which would have given Joseph legal rights over her. They would have started to use the terminology husband and wife, although they are not yet living together. And we know that this is where Mary and Joseph are in their betrothal process because when he finds out she's pregnant, he considers divorcing her, which was a legal requirement to break this contract that had already been signed. Most betrothal processes took around 12 months, giving the couple time to prepare. And in that time, Joseph would have been preparing a place for them to live together, a very simple small dwelling, potentially only one room, and most likely attached to or very near his father's house. And so just before we enter her story, I imagine that Mary reasonably expects that she will be viewed by others as, yes, a simple but a respectable woman who obeys God and her family, that she reasonably expects that she will get married to Joseph, bear his children, care for her home and her family, which is most likely to also ultimately include her extended family, that they would live out of the small means that Joseph made from his um, business as a carpenter, and that she would live a very ordinary life of obscurity. You see, Mary's life and future was planned out in a very predictable fashion, or so she thought, because then she met an angel. We may not have met an angel, although I thought Trevor's joke about angels in the kitchen was quite funny last week, Um, but we may not have met an angel the way Mary did, but it is unlikely that there is anyone in this room who has not been surprised and encountered the unexpected. Many of us have experienced the unplanned and unwanted and come face to face with our human frailty and weakness, felt powerless, fearful, out of control, and had our own self-reliance and our seemingly secure plans completely unraveled. The question that I have been contemplating as I reflect on Mary's story, as I think about this massive, unexpected, frightening, inconvenient, unplanned interruption to her ordinary, simple life, is what can we learn from her response? The Mary of our Western imagination is dressed in blue with a dreamy look on her face possibly quietly cradling a baby or talking to an angel. In nativity plays, when we, um, when we demonstrate what we believe that, that um, the birth of Jesus might have looked like, she barely usually has a line to say as the narrative goes on around her. I do understand why some Christian traditions try to make her something that she's not. Being the mother of our saviour is no ordinary thing. 
But the first thing I want to note as we consider her response to this unexpected news is that she did not respond as some otherworldly figure. Mary was an ordinary woman who found herself in extraordinarily unexpected circumstances. And Luke's Gospel um, tells us in his account, and many scholars um, would concur that they believe that a lot of what Luke wrote, she was his, Mary was his direct witness. She told her story to him. And so in Luke's Gospel, we reve- he reveals that Mary did experience fear and expressed it and asked questions. She was neither naive nor ignorant. She was fully aware of how costly this was going to be to her, how life-altering, oh, sorry, altering, life-altering this was going to be for her and also for her betrothed, Joseph. As she responded to this unexpected news, I want to put to you this morning that she demonstrated great faith in the midst of it all, but it was not by remaining silent and passive. I am grateful that she used her voice, that we have her words recorded by Luke over 2,000 years later. And it's through her response, recorded in the passage of Luke that we've read this morning, that we are given a glimpse into what she believed including her very unique front row seat perspective on the person of Jesus Christ and what he came to do. I believe that in the life and witness of Mary, we are given some insights into what actually enabled her to respond with such humble dependence. And that these are keys that we can, as also ordinary people who have unexpected things happen in our life, that we can take these keys and we can incorporate them into our unexpected circumstances. So firstly, we see that Mary responds by magnifying God. Often in the unexpected, the unplanned and the unwanted, in the lament and the struggle and the pain, God gets smaller in our view. That's certainly what has happened in my life at times. What we see in Mary is that she navigated this unexpected moment in her life by looking to God in worship. She reminds herself as she sings this song of who God is, she magnifies him, she makes him bigger in her view. We see from the words of Mary that she uses in her song of praise that she looks to God as both her saviour and her Lord, as her master, as her Messiah and as her king. It is a little mind-bending to think that the Lord and saviour that she is talking of is tiny dividing cells in her womb at this moment. But Mary is acquainted with the scriptures and the history of her people. She knows that salvation and deliverance is only found in God and that he is the only one big enough to rescue and redeem. I'm not saying that she fully understood or comprehended the implications 
She may well have had some fairly mixed up ideas about exactly how her son was going to go about that at this point. I don't think at this point she could possibly have known that her son was going to die a death on a Roman cross and be raised again to life. But what I do believe is that she believed that God would do what he said he would do, that he would deliver his people as he had done before. And she trusted in his character and also that he was able to do it. Gabriel's parting words to Mary were, nothing is impossible for God. And we see in Mary's song that she knew and believed that God's arm was not too short to save and that his ear was not too dull to hear. She believed that he could be trusted, even in the unexpected and the unhinging. And even when it didn't look the way that she expected it to. Mary sang as she magnified God of his might and his power and his strength. But not just in abstract terms, but linked to his merciful compassion. And I want us to grab this this morning. Because it's a profound revelation that she had. That his might and his power and his strength was expressed in mercy and how he would act. She declares, God is mighty and he has done great things for me. God, Mary believed that God was the one who interacted with his creation, that he didn't stand at a distance just exercising his power and might like human rulers, but that in fact the transcendent creator The all-powerful one draws near to dwell with his people and to act on their behalf. And is this not exactly what the incarnation tells us? Emmanuel, God with us, God for us. And as Mary magnifies the Lord, she declares his holiness. She says, holy is his name. She links God's holiness to his name. What this means is that she's not just talking about the way God behaves, she's talking about who he is, his name, his nature and his character. In this description of declaring God as holy, she is belting out about his utter integrity, his beauty, his perfection, his goodness, and his truth. So what we see in Mary's response is that she used her voice to magnify God. He is Lord, Saviour, mighty, powerful, merciful, compassionate, and holy. And she believes that these things are true about God in all circumstances, that he is unchanging even when everything around her is changing and unstable. Had all of her uncertainty disappeared? Did it answer all the questions that she was likely to have in the future and be confronted with in mothering Jesus for over 33 years? No, of course not. In fact, we need to remember at this point she's singing this song, Joseph doesn't even know she's pregnant. And so there are still many unknowns for her. And yet even in the midst of that, she magnifies her Lord and remembers who he is. 
He is the focus of her attention. He is the intent of her heart. And she praises him in humble dependence and declares how big and strong he is, even in the midst of her weakness. It is worth asking ourselves this morning, in light of the circumstances and situations surrounding us, how big is our view of God? And how does magnifying him shift our response to our own situations? The second thing that we see in Mary's song is that her response redefines what it means to be favoured. Her response redefines what it means to be favoured. I want you to again consider for a moment her circumstance and situation. The the angel announces to her that she has found favour with God. What an incredible contrast to her actual natural circumstances. She's a poor, young, insignificant woman living under layers of oppression and she's about to add unwed mother to the list. It doesn't seem like a description of God's favour to me. It seems like the exact opposite. The unexpected, the unplanned and the unexplainable circumstances of our life, they have a habit of revealing what we truly believe to be the favour of God. And if we equate favour with status and success and performance or with happiness and everything always being on the improve and going well, then when we are confronted with the opposite, we may struggle to believe in the favour of God at all. Incredibly, Mary came to recognise that these unexpected circumstances of her life were actually God's favour. So how did she do that? In her song of praise, she sings, God has seen my humble state. God has seen me. He has looked upon me. He has regarded me. He has seen my humble state, my humiliation, my oppression, my low position. God has seen me. Mary expresses an incredible truth. God's unmerited favour is in fact his divine kindness and compassion towards the needy, the humiliated, the lost and the broken. We may also use the term grace. Mary had a revelation that her her lowly, humble state was not an inconvenience to God. He did not look away from her, but towards her, He actually chose her rather than disqualified her because of her low position. The favour of God shown to Mary was that he included her, a poor young peasant woman, in his eternal redemption plan as an active participant. I would suggest to you that her low and humble dependence upon God, her low position, was actually of vital importance to God's choice because in it, it reveals the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. To quote Jesus, quoting Isaiah about himself, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. As followers of Jesus, we too have been found by this unmerited favour of God. We too have been included in his kingdom and his redemption plans as active participants. Our lowly state is not an inconvenience to God. We are not disqualified by the suffering of our life. He does not look away from us. He looks towards us. The Apostle Paul, I think, had a great revelation about this. And there were many places that I could have gone to choose, but I couldn't go past what he wrote to the Corinthians. He says this, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted. Surprise! She awkwardly laughs. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Or again, to quote Jesus directly, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mary's response teaches us that being blessed, favoured, and included are those who live in humble dependence. Jeanette, could I ask you to come back up here? I hopefully don't get clobbered by a microphone. And I just have one final thought to bring before you as we consider Mary's response to the unexpected in her life. And that is that her response keeps in view an eternal picture. In the the part of Luke that we didn't read this morning, the angel tells Mary that the child she will conceive is the son of the Most High and that he will be given the throne of David. It is clear that Mary is fully aware of what the implications of this are, that she knew her scriptures, that this child, the child to be conceived in her womb of her seed, was the heir to all the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah to come through the Davidic line. And somehow in the middle of this very um, unexpected interruption to her own life, this young woman grasps not only the immediate, but the eternal. 
She sings in her song, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary knows that this is because of Jesus that they will call her blessed, that this is not her making some comment on her own status improvement. Rather, what she's declaring is that the one she carries in her womb is not simply an immediate saviour for her generation for a limited time, but he is the saviour of all generations, forever and ever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Does she know exactly what's to come? Does she fully understand the ways of God? Does she think that soon as her son is born, that all will end? No. But what she does is she recalls the promises given to her people over generations. And she believes what she's been told, that these promises will now be fulfilled in Jesus. After centuries of waiting for the Messiah, the wait is over. And in Mary's words, he has given help to his people and he has remembered according to his mercy. This word help is not a passive word. It means to take hold of, to hold fast and to embrace. Mary knows that God has not forgotten his promises. He has not forgotten his people. He holds them fast. If I'm honest, the thing I've wrestled most about as I've written this sermon is that I don't really want to oversimplify our human response to the unexpected. I know some of your stories and I know my own. And the unplanned and unwanted circumstances of our life brings pain, disappointment, exhaustion and suffering. And I don't want to gloss over that this morning and make this more simple than it is. What Mary knew and what is true for us today is that in our longing and our waiting, as we live in this tension between the kingdom come but not yet fully fulfilled, we can hold both a present hope and a future hope. We serve a God who heals, lifts up the broken and bruised, fills the hungry and satisfies us with himself, has promised to never leave us or forsake us, who holds us and comforts us. And he who is faithful has promised that there will be a day when all things are made new, when all things are put right, and when his redemption plan is fully complete. As we consider Mary's story, we see that she chose to respond in humble dependence rather than powerless oppression. We see that she used her voice and her choices. And she made Jesus the source of both her present and her future hope. And she made choices in the midst of her circumstances, not once they were all worked out. And I guess that in the midst of knowing that life is messy and hard and difficult at times is my encouragement and I feel God's encouragement to us today. 
that we can also live in a place of humble dependence, making Jesus the source of both our present and our future hope. That doesn't mean slipping into fatalism or spiritually whitewashing the struggles that we're going through. But it does mean like Mary chose to respond by magnifying the Lord, by remembering how big he is, by re-evaluating what we believe his favour really looks like and by holding in tension his ability to move in the here and now with the promise that he will one day make all things new. I would love to pray for us this morning, so can I ask you to stand? Heavenly Father, as we consider the humble life of your servant Mary and Lord, her response to the unexpected circumstances in her life, Lord, we come to you in a recognition, God, that life is and can be very messy with the unexplained the unexpected and the unplanned. But this morning, Lord, as we stand before you, as we have worshipped you together this morning, as we have declared together who you are this morning, Lord, would you become bigger in our view? Lord, where we've shrunk you down because of pain or circumstances and suffering, Lord, would you stir within us again, Lord, a fresh perspective of just who you are that we might declare it over our lives, Lord. And Father, it is our desire as your people to come in humble dependence. Lord, to rely upon you and not upon ourselves. Lord, to recognise that your favour is that You've included us in your kingdom, that you see us and that you do not turn away from us, that you are with us. And we proclaim, Lord, over our circumstances and our lives this morning, Lord, that King Jesus, you are both our present and our future hope. Would you come and move amongst your people this morning, Lord? I thank you, Lord, that you are the one who reassures and comforts. You are the one who breaks through and heals. You are the one that we can trust. And so, Lord, as we move into this week, let us see you more clearly. We want to know you.